Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So as we, as I went back into the courtroom, the hearing had just begun again. The judge was back on the bench, and she was pressing the prosecution on this investigation and the four corners of this plea agreement. One of the prosecutors said that the investigation was very much ongoing, and that she asked him, well, what is not covered in this plea agreement if you are leaving the possibility for there being other future charges? So then the judge said, would this include a possible fair charge that's not registering as a foreign agent? The prosecutor said, no, the deal would not include that. It was at that point that she had said to the prosecution, um, you know, if you were not good, if you can charge that, then what does this mean? And the prosecutors, actually she asked Hunter Biden's attorneys about that, and he said, well, then there's no deal. And the prosecutor said, then there is no deal. So Biden's team said that the plea agreement, as far as they understood it, was now null and void. They were moving ahead to talk about what the next steps would be in this case. So as of right now, the deal appears to be dead and off the table. Holy crap. Dude, this all just broke in the last... By the way, I called you dude. I apologize. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What is going on? Um, Holy crap. This all just broke. This is the happenings right here. The plea deal, the sweetheart deal is gone. Now, Hunter Biden was going to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax counts of willful failure to pay federal income tax. And this was part of the deal where he was going to do pretrial diversion for lying on a federal form and purchasing a handgun. Remember, he's a guy who does a lot of drugs, and he wrote down, I don't do any drugs. And that, of course, is against the law. But instead of going to jail like, I don't know, rapper Kodiak Black or any other young black man in America, he is going to get pretrial diversion. All part of the deal. Many of us, you included, have been saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The IRS may have slow walked the investigation. You have whistleblowers saying that some people couldn't bring charges, like the U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss. What would you? This is nuts. And we said this plea deal needs to be off the table. It needs to be rescinded as late as my morning show this morning. I was having this exact conversation. This plea deal can't be allowed. And now, right now, you have the plea deal gone. So everything that's, I mean, everybody right now is in an oh my gosh kind of moment trying to understand what's going on here. If the plea deal is no longer available, The question is going to be, well, are we going to trial? Are we going to trial? And are there now going to be felony charges that come forward? If, you know, in the clip you just heard, that was CNN. If we are to take a look at that and say, well, uh, the the Hunter's attorney said, well, then there's no deal. How can they be people who want to push for the idea of no deal? They need the deal more than they need oxygen. So I think there's going to be a little bit of kind of sussing out the information here. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get done. So let's take this this, this first part of it. First, the Hunter Biden plea deal just fell apart. 
over, done, complete, finished. What does it mean? Hmm. That's a great question. What does it mean? You've got people engaging in commentary everywhere. You've got CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig uh, saying that this doesn't happen often. This is very, very rare uh, stuff. Uh, you could have uh, plea deals uh, where the sides have a miscommunication of the scope of what's actually in the deal. If Hunter Biden, for example, agrees to one, two, or three misdemeanors, that's fine. But the agreement is no prison time. The bigger concern is, is he covered for anything else? Well, I guess that all depends on what anything else is. Ellie Honig at CNN wants to argue that it's surprising and doesn't reflect well on either of the two parties. Well, I think that's more of a semantic argument, isn't it? It doesn't reflect well on the prosecution. Doesn't reflect well on the defense. None of that matters. What matters now is what happens next. We have all, I guess if you're of a certain age, we have all seen how uh, um, shoe-ins, slam dunks, what do you want to call it? Pick the, pick the, uh, the, the, whatever, the cliche. We have all seen how uh, shoe-ins, guaranteed successes don't work out. Two words for you. OJ, you know OJ's guilty. I know OJ's guilty. Al Cowling knows OJ's guilty. The white Bronco knows OJ's guilty, allegedly. See, that's how you keep yourself out of court. That's that, producer AJ, is how you keep yourself out of the court system. You know who didn't know that OJ was guilty? Marsha Clark. You couldn't screw it up more than you did. And you did. Wait, you want another one? Little, I was gonna. Oh my god, I was gonna use such a bad uh, analogy, and I'm not gonna do it. Oh, I'd, I think I'd lose my job. Whoo! Just for t- you want another bad moment? How about the Benghazi hearings? Could anything have been more home run, more knock it out of the park? Dear Lord, look at what Hillary Clinton did. Look at the series of events. You couldn't have screwed that up more. Do you? You don't. It, it was a hearing in Congress. There would have been no conviction, but you would have at least shown the horrors of what took place in Benghazi. You couldn't even do that proper. So there's two examples. What matters is what comes next. What comes next? And I don't have an answer. I'm not so sure. What I know is this is giant. Absolutely giant news. The Hunter Biden plea deal has fallen apart. Which means these uh, misdemeanors can now be felony charges, right? That's what it means, correct? The misdemeanors become can become felony charges. This could become a whole lot worse. That's That's my take. I will dig in deeper and see what I can learn. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Our approach to managing the borders securely and humanely, even within our fundamentally broken immigration system, is working. Why isn't it fixed yet, Secretary Mayorkas? It's been three years. Why is it still broken? Three years later, you're going to tell me that it's Trump's fault? Oh, stop it. Stop being silly. Stop it. How about just uh, an answer to some basic questions then? Just some basic questions. I believe we should admit into this country... 
Uh, Congressman, it is our responsibility to enforce the laws that Congress has passed, and that is indeed what we are doing. Individuals who do not have... So is there a limit? Yes or no? Congressman, um, individuals uh, who make a claim for relief under our laws and who do not Well, you've already released more than 2.1 million illegal immigrants into this country uh, since you took office. That's a population the size of the state of Nebraska. Uh, While the Border Patrol has been consumed by taking names and changing diapers at the border, one and a half million known gotaways have illegally entered the country as well. Um, That's an additional illegal population the size of the state of Hawaii. So once again, I would ask you, what is the limit, or is there one? Congressman, last year we expelled or removed approximately 1.4 million people who did not have a legal basis to remain in the United States, the largest number in recent history. Well, actually, you testified that 72,000 illegal uh, migrants were removed in, in 2022. But in 2019, there were 267,000 removals. So removals are down under your administration by more than 75%. That's Representative Tom McClintock asking the questions. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. My orcas won't answer the questions. I have got more to get into on the border. I'll do that in a little bit. But the news breaking about Hunter Biden's plea deal. Sorry, guys. If if I was a guy who had a breaking news sounder, if I had one of those things, I, I would be playing it for you right now. I'd be like, my gosh, it's crazy. There he is, Hunter Biden, at trial. He's going to plead guilty uh, to the misdemeanors for not paying taxes, to which you'd go to jail for for a great number of years, and he's going to enter a pretrial diversion for lying on a federal form to purchase a firearm, to which you'd go to jail uh, for for years, and the deal falls apart. The deal falls apart. Actually, I do have a a, a, a breaking news sounder. Here, here you go. I don't think that was necessary at all. That's just downright rude. But here is the latest from NBC. Well, right now, the United States Department of Justice and the son of the president of the United States, Robert Hunter Biden, have no deal. That's what was just stated in court. Both sides are taking a 10-minute recess right now to see if they can agree to terms on the plea agreement. Starting about 11 a.m., the judge started to question whether or not a provision in the agreements, this pretrial diversion on the gun charge, and as well, and we're just finding this out now, and I asked the audience patience with this because we haven't been able to see these court documents today, but apparently as part of the pretrial diversion agreement for the gun charge that Hunter Biden faces, there are additional tax charges that are covered in that, meaning that they won't be brought should he abide by the terms of that pretrial diversion agreement. The judge questions that and says, look, the pretrial diversion agreement is outside of my purview, but yet it's referenced in the sentence in the in the uh, prosecute in the plea agreement, excuse me, between the two parties. And she questioned the government and said, you're asking me to approve and accept this plea agreement. But yet I've got this pretrial diversion that's hanging out there and 
is it your understanding, Hunter Biden, that, you know, if, if there's some sort of a break in the agreement here, uh, are you willing to still move forward as far as the difference between the pretrial diversion agreement and the plea agreement? Hunter Biden said, no, Your Honor. The two sides meet at exactly 11 a.m. Chris Clark, who represents Hunter Biden, goes over to the prosecution. The judge took a 10-minute recess there, and he said, and this is a quote, we'll rip it up. We'll tear up this agreement right then. The two sides got back together again after that 10, 15 minute recess and said, look, we agree now that the pretrial diversion is separate from all of this. And with respect to the plea agreement, the only reason why we reference this pretrial diversion agreement is just to say that when you cut to sentencing guidelines, which is this idea of uh, what eventually a sentence Hunter Biden should get for the misdemeanor tax offenses, that you can't include the gun charge into that. Everything seemed to be okay at that point. But then the judge asked, look, there's an ongoing investigation here. Government says yes, they agree. They say, what does that ongoing investigation involve? They say they can't talk about it. Now, what does that ongoing investigation involve? That's the big one. The prosecutor was asked if the deal meant Hunter Biden would be immune from prosecution or other possible crimes, including violations related to representing foreign governments. The prosecutor said no. And that's what Hunter Biden's lawyers said, that the agreement was null and void. Was Hunter's team under the opinion that everything was covered now into perpetuity? Oh, well, now we get back to the original question of how in the world was that not figured out beforehand? Or was this Hunter's team just hoping, you know, crossing the fingers, crossing the toes, that they'd be able to sneak this one by? Certainly, I would not have known that it would not have made sense for the gun charge to be part of the plea agreement on the the misdemeanor uh, on on tax fraud misdemeanor on tax fraud you'd be in jail but now the question became well if you 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 get this and something happens right you you, you do you have the ability or are you saying that hunter's immune from prosecution for other possible crimes including violations related to representing foreign governments. Remember, registering as a foreign agent is a big deal. This is what they said Paul Manafort uh, didn't do. It's a massive, massive thing. I have no problem with people working for foreign governments. I have a real issue when they don't disclose it. Real, real big issue when that's not disclosed. And uh, the prosecutor said, no, 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 it would still... If, if, if there are other issues regarding to uh, working with foreign governments or registering as a foreign agent, of course we, we, would, we would prosecute. And lawyer, uh, Biden's lawyer said, we'll rip it up, as you, as you heard from that uh, MSNBC journalist. We'll rip it up. Okay, rip it up. Rip it up. Isn't that a song? Isn't there a song? Um, what am I thinking of? Oh, I'm thinking of something. It's in my head. This is crazy. Now it's coming out that there is actually a more limited deal that's being agreed to. So they don't want this to die on the vine. 
it is possible they're going to agree to something a little more limited in scope. Well, what could that possibly be? Is that going to be, well, okay, look, this plea deal will only discuss uh, the tax charges that anybody else in America would go uh, uh, to, to, to jail for. And for a great long time, and it'd be a felony, we'll just do the tax stuff and we won't include the gun stuff. I don't know. When I tell you this is all just breaking right now, over the last 90 minutes, that's where it is. So I'm trying to bring it to you the very, very best I I I can. And this is where we're at. Will there be a plea deal, a new one, because, well... They really don't want they really don't want this. They don't want to have this problem. I'm trying to understand do Hunter's lawyers feel that like they're in a strong position? Or is this the prosecutors saying, look, we've done for you all we possibly can, man, but like, you know, we can't do it all for you. And them trying to help him save face. That's what I, I think that's actually what we're witnessing here. You know, when you have these conversations, you can think of these parties as um, having a, a specific a purpose. But we already know that the DOJ has moved heaven and earth via Merrick Garland not to bring charges. So when the pro, when when the prosecutor said, yeah, look, if there are other charges about being a foreign agent, we would bring them. Maybe that was a shock to Biden's legal team. What do you mean you'll bring charges? That's not what Uncle Merrick said. I'm assuming Hunter calls him Uncle Merrick. I'm, I'm assuming that, that that's how it works. And and they were like, oh, man, what, 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 what's the boss going to say? And so they had to come up with something else. Oh, I, I have to imagine, first things first, if you watch any cable news outlet, if you're if your uh, title is not lawyer, you're not getting on tonight. No non-lawyer is going to be on TV anywhere. That's it's all you're going to hear from. Because man, this gets convoluted. First, to the first point, how is a plea gr- uh, agreement not understood? Then to a second point, can a plea agreement then be split so the gun charge is different than the tax charges? Third, when Hunter Biden's team said they'll rip up the entire agreement, were they talking from a position of power or trying to instill uh, a, a, a fear into the DOJ that you should just want to get this done? Fourth, is the DOJ now working in a way to limit the exposure to Hunter Biden, further exposing themselves to America as engaging in a two-tier justice system? And how does that play out going forward? Number five, how does it play out politically? I think I think I summed it up. I I I, I may have summed it up. We'll see. This is all just breaking, and I will have more. One of the things that is also breaking, we've talked about Confucius Institutes. We've talked about how the Communist Chinese Party has moved with, with great effort to be able to silence those that disagree with them and do so across the globe. Well, they've tried it in, in, in colleges. Now they're trying it in your local school. 
We break down the story coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. When you deal with the Communist Party, you deal with an irrational actor who will say anything. There is no shame. There is no concept of decency. There is only the concept of victory. Destroy the other person. Move ahead your message. Destroy, eliminate, kill Whatever the case may be, that's the reality. That is what happens when you deal with communists. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And even though Confucius Institutes have been exposed on college campuses, I can go a few years back to having these conversations with Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District working to have these facilities removed. I can tell you about people who've taken travels across the globe and have seen the Confucius Institute set up. Ostensibly, it's about uh, teaching about and sharing Chinese culture. What they do from those institutes is push to ensure that nothing anti-Chinese is said or written and work aggressively to try and punish those who may honestly speak about the Communist Party. Well, now, although there's been a lot of good effort made or a lot of good effort put into it, a lot of strides made in getting this out of the college campuses, what about in the K through 12 classroom? Over there at Parents Defending Education, they have got the story about something called Little Red Classrooms. At least that's the report that shows that indeed these Confucius Institutes are trying to make their way, if not already well involved, in public education. Alex Nestor joins us right now, investigative fellow for Parents Defending Education. Before that, uh, education reporter at the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, And Alex, you've been, of course, following this story. Fox News has uh, this story uh, as well. Talk to me about this report. Who put this report uh, together? It was sent to 34 governors and others. uh, And what does this report tell us? Hi, well, thanks for having me. So this is a report from us at Parents Defending Education. And over the course of a few weeks, filing lots of public records requests and also just doing a lot of online searching, we found 143 school districts, including some that are near 20 military bases, that have ties to the Chinese government. And these can look like a few different things, right? So sometimes you'll have a Confucius classroom at an elementary, middle, or high school. And that was created with some help from a local Confucius Institute. And you gave a great background on that before I hopped on here. Um, In other cases, you'll have uh, nonprofit organizations um, or other third parties like the Asia Society or or, um, the College Board helping to prop up, um, you know, these ties to um, K-12 schools. And we've seen that um, 
you know, the, the contracts all together, the funding that's going toward this is close to $18 million. Um, and we know that this is still active in at least seven school districts. Talk to me about how that funding mechanism works. You talk about $18 million. Is this the Confucius Institutes uh, through the Communist Chinese Party writing a check to the local school district? Or does it happen in a more, uh, I'll utilize the term, nefarious way? Uh, but uh, you tell me how it comes together. Well, the Chinese government is notorious for funding things through, you know, third parties. But in some cases, it's pretty direct through these Confucius Institutes, for sure. You'll see that as one way that this funding is going into K-12 schools. Um, And again, you'll also see funding provided by, um, you know, third party organizations or third parties that help prop up these Confucius classrooms as well. Talking to Alex Nestor, she, an investigative fellow with Parents Defending Education, DefendingED.org. Uh, what made you and the team start looking into this? Were you, were you tipped off? Did you already know it was happening? How did that come together? Well, that's a great question. This is uh, something that I personally have been interested in for quite some time. But I will say a colleague of mine um, found some documents that showed that Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology had ties to Tsinghua University High School, which is a high school affiliated with one of China's top military schools. So a colleague of mine found that out back in March, and you can read in the Washington Examiner more about Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, which, by the way, is one of the nation's top STEM high schools. Um, And, you know, through further investigation, we found that it's not the only top STEM high school in the nation that has ties to the Chinese government. You have a school in North Carolina as well as one in Kentucky that also have the same. But but yeah, it was just through uncovering that. And then, you know, we kind of thought, hey, if it's happening here, it's probably happening elsewhere. Um, And sure enough, you know, through uh, a few weeks, a month of, of searching, uh, you know, we found 143 districts at one point or still do have these ties. Talk to me about what it is that's getting taught because of the dollars that flow through the school districts. Clearly, uh, the school districts know that the money is coming from this institute. They may or may not know this institute's history and where that money comes from. Never mind the legality, whether it's about a district level or a state level, uh, on taking those funds. What has it led to in the classroom in specific teaching or uh, materials? So this is a great question. Um, our records searched mostly for contracts, um, but from what we found, things that actually happened in American K-12 schools, um, Chinese language and culture programming, which um, if you followed the Confucius Institute stuff at all, you know a lot of that is dictated by the CCP. Um, we had we found, um, you know, teacher uh Teacher trades or student, um, you know, where they'll send students off to China or teachers off to China and Chinese teachers will um, come to American K-12 schools. We also know in the case of Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Tech that um, some projects were being sent back to China. Um, And actually, China had created a few schools based off of the Thomas Jefferson model. Um, So, again, we focused on the contracts. 
We don't have a ton of specifics, but I can say, you know, Chinese language and culture program, teacher and student exchanges, and at times sharing information with Chinese schools. Talking to Alex Nestor, investigative fellow for Parents Defending Education, formerly of the Washington Free Beacon. So so where does this lead us? Where does this lead uh, Parents Defending Education? What is it that they want to see? Is this about notifying school districts? Hey, you got to be on the watch for what, uh, the, who you're taking money from. Or is this about making a move on the federal level? So that's a good question. I mean, education is a very local issue. That's why our uh, 501c4 side PDE action sent letters to the 34 governors plus Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., saying, hey, we need some transparency, transparency here. I mean, look, schools, these programs sound great for kids. It's, it's good to give kids the opportunity to learn Chinese language and culture, um, but that obviously is going to come with some strings attached when you're talking about the Chinese Communist Party. So I think it's really important for states to step up, um, you know, figure out, hey, what's going on? Where's funding going? Um, at the federal level, too, there's really only one law, to my knowledge, that governs any of this at all, and it is at the federal level, and it's only for higher education education. And it's also only four contracts that are over $250,000 given from foreign entities to a university. So I think we need transparency with some of these more small dollar donations um, that are happening, you know, on maybe a wider scale than some of the bigger donations are. But yeah, transparency at the state level, um, because education is such a local issue, um, but at the federal level as well. But the the, the idea that, that education is local, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, I would rather it more local. If I was somebody who had the opportunity to do away with the Department of Education, I would I would do so. Uh, so while we discuss it at a local level, it is very obvious, as we have seen dictates come from the Department of Education, things happen at the federal level. And of course, when we're talking about China, we're having a national security conversation. So there's multiple cases to be made exactly. for this to happen uh, at a national level. Has Parents Defending Education come up with any language that they would like to see in a level of legislation? Are there any members of Congress who have taken up their cause specifically and will start working on this issue? So PDE being a 501c3 organization doesn't work on legislation, doesn't lobby. I will say from our C4 side, it's really all about transparency. We want to see that accountability both at the state and the federal level. And I know some lawmakers in the past have introduced legislation um, you know, to that. I believe uh, Senator Marco Rubio did this a while back. Um, but look, I mean, it's a it's a big issue. I don't think that bans really end up solving a whole lot. I would say transparency and, you know, having watchdogs like us and other groups out there monitoring this. It's going to be the most effective way to, um, you know, root out CCP influences in our schools. That's exactly what we saw happen at the um, federal or at the federal level with universities as well, Confucius Institute. So, um, yeah, I would say transparency is probably what we're going for from PDE action. And we hope that uh, governors and, uh, you know, our Congress will will step up to this challenge. Uh, and uh, I don't mind that from, from parents defending education. Me, on a personal level, I'd be more for the rooting out. Alex Nestor, investigative fellow for Parents Defending Education. Find her work. Find out more at DefendingEd.org, DefendingEd.org. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
There is a U.S. representative, Greg Cesar. It's C-A-S-A-R. I'm not familiar with the congressman from Texas, a Democrat. But he is leading a thirst and hunger strike, or he, he did. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. He's a former city council member in Austin, Texas. Big on labor issues. Said he would not eat, drink, or take a break until nurses require him to stop. Well, stop what? Well, he thinks there's a need for heat protections for outdoor workers. You've got him and 110 members of Congress calling on the Biden administration to implement a workplace heat standard because uh, we're, we're putting people at risk. I'm on thirst strike today because families across Texas and across America deserve dignity on the job. But Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, doesn't think so. During this heat wave, the governor just signed a law taking away your right to a water break at work. He signed a law taking away your right to a water break at work? Does that make sense to anybody? I can tell you that I know nothing about this. But I'm asking for a friend. You can't take a water break? How in the world does that even begin to work? Why would anybody sign anything like that? There's a measure nullifying ordinances enacted by Austin and Dallas that mandate 10-minute breaks for construction workers every four hours. It also prevents any other local governments from passing similar worker protections. Hold on a second. That you end a mandate does not mean that the water break disappears. If you have the company, you really think that people are going to work in 100 degree heat without taking a sip? You don't have the breaks anyway? That's weird. I guess there's a question about whether or not these things should be state or federally mandated as if somehow that's something the state or the federal government should do. I always argue no. But then again, I'm the guy who argues against uh, the uh, the minimum wage because the minimum wage works against people's best interests. It doesn't allow them to get into the workforce. If you're working in 100-degree heat, I think you should have yourself a drink. Uh, of course I do. If soccer players at a certain temperature are forced to take the water break, that's, by the way, that wasn't federal or state. That was soccer. A business can do the same. It's not like Greg Abbott said, you don't get to drink water. So the company won't do it? So this is really about progressives hating business once again. Well, this guy is leads that water strike. He leads a strike and he's not going to drink any water and he's not going to have anything to eat. And uh, he ended it after eight hours. Eight hours hours that's that's not impressive that is that is not in any way impressive you didn't have water or food for eight hours as somebody pointed out on twitter so you skipped lunch dude even fat people aren't impressed by that even they're like oh i could go eight hours 
I'm not saying I could go nine, but eight I could do. And they're cheering him as he takes his as he takes his sip of water right there. Oh my gosh. That guy is brave as brave can be. That is that is remarkable. Um it is one thing to say, hey, we should uh we shouldn't repeal this legislation, we should have this legislation. It's another thing to say about a guy, well, I guess uh I guess you're trying to uh kill workers cuz that would be weird. That would be very very strange. Sean pointing out there's OSHA, separate entity out of Congress's hands and that of Greg Abbott. This whole thing, you want performance art? Here you go. That's what this is. This is a great, a big bunch of performance art. Unnecessary, causing a fight for no reason, no reason whatsoever. But people are going to do what they do. Try and make something out of nothing. But when you when you have a thirst strike for eight hours, and literally somebody tweeted out, Representative Greg, I think it's Cesar, C-A-S-A-R, ends his third strike, thirst strike after over eight hours without food or water on the house steps. You call it being busy. Some of you call it having kids. Ridiculous. Ridiculous stuff. Find everything at TonyCats.com. And what's going on with the Hunter plea deal? The original one's gone. There's a new one. I'll have it for you coming up. This is Tony Katz today.